we are back for a quarantine, another quarantine edition of the podcast. Strat is not here. It's just Sermon Ev. This is the par train. If you're new, we promote growing the game, but it's about the game growing you, right? It's using golf as a learning platform. And I think this podcast and this episode had a lot of great learnings in it. Anytime you have Eric Anders Lang on, you're going to get a lot of great sound bites, a lot of great learnings. And in-depth teachings. Yeah, on this episode. we went deep. Yeah. We went deep, just like we do with Brian <laughs> but Todd. But we've been doing that. I think that's been our theme in 2020. Instead of promoting a product this time around, we thought it'd be cool to promote Eric's charity work that he's been doing through his golf club called Random Golf Club. So if you go to randomgolfclub.com slash nokidhungry, um, it's a great place for you to donate so that kids that aren't in school and can't get meals right now can, can eat. And so it's a great cause. Yep. Serm, let's talk about this conversation. We, it was a long conversation. You definitely got to stay and listen to the end. But we really talked about everything from Eric playing Augusta two years ago to playing with positivity and non-judgmental awareness. I mean, there was a lot of different things that I think you can take away. He's an interesting story, right? Because he's, he's a famous you know, documentary director, creator, Hollywood creator in a lot of ways. And was not a golfer and then got hooked on golf. He's really figured out how to dive into the mental and spiritual side of the game. And yeah. he's creating and he's creating art around that. And so for me, as somebody who's played the game my whole career, you know, and played it on a pretty high level. Like I feel like I I know a lot about, you know, the mental game. And I, and for somebody like him who hasn't played it that long, to have that much knowledge, it, it's it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. There's definitely multiple things he said that whenever we get to play again, you know, yeah. I'll want to use. But also, I think you can use it in your daily life. And I think that's the point of our whole podcast. So what's really cool about this interview, and for people who don't know a lot about him, he's one of these pioneers who's trying to take golf into the new generation, right? It, how do we grow the game, rethink the game, make it more inclusive, make it more fun? Um, he's, and he's doing a lot of different things. So it's cool to hear him talk about that stuff. Yeah, I want to read a quote from Eric kind of leading into um, the interview. He said, golf above all other sports that I know of teaches us to deal with a great many important things, humility, responsibility, selflessness, practice, patience, attitude, respect, and most of all, recovery. When we find ourselves in difficult spots on the course or in life, we have the opportunity to take bad with the good, to find the silver lining, to muster the concentration and courage to get ourselves out of the spot with a positive attitude. That's what I play for, to learn this lesson over and over and over again. And one thing is for certain, even if I never get it perfect, at least I'm still in the game. And yeah. I think that sums up this conversation. We dive more into this. Why don't we get right to it? Fantastic. And we're back with the man, the myth, the legend. We were just talking. Eric Anders Lang, it's been two years since we've last talked. Think about what's changed in the world. Last time we talked, you were playing Augusta National, and now we can't leave the house. How are you doing amidst the craziness? Well, I'm actually I, – I, here's an example of how I'm doing. I actually have to interrupt the podcast because the sound of the leaf blower that's been going on all day is driving me crazy. And I have to mm. just close the door really quick. So just give me a second. Let's do it. I wow. can't. So is something about the, get, the, getting uh, out of the way. 
Yeah, the the incessant noises of mm. like the neighborhood, and there the thing is, the world is quieter, but that means that some things that you didn't notice before are much louder. Like, well, no like, doubt, it, if if I get sirens, you hear sirens in the background, I'll do my best. You know, terrible, <laughs> terrible. Thank God for the mute button, though, right? Yeah. Well, I will say, one of the biggest benefits about this whole you know working from home experience is i have a mute button and i can do whatever i want to do i can i can i can eat these on mute i can chug the beverage on mute and then you know you your stomach's rumbling god forbid you need to fart or burp mute mm. button right in the middle of a meeting let it happen and, uh, nice i just think that that's a freedom that i don't enjoy most other days of my life <laughs> see the simple pleasures you know, speaking of Perks. simple pleasures, we always like starting everybody off with a little uh, warm up at the range, a little fun warm up. Mm-hmm. Um, best golf movie during quarantine. We've got top five here. You got to pick one. So think of this as let's say we're stuck inside for the next six months. Hopefully not, but let's say we are hypothetically. You can only watch one of these. Which one are you picking? We've got Legend of Bagger Vance. Tin Cup, Happy Gilmore, Caddyshack, and the greatest game ever played. Sorry, I'm through that. Greatest one game there. ever played. Really? Oh. Yeah. Wow. It didn't even, wasn't even on the list before. Shocking. Well, if it didn't make it on the top five, I would have <laughs> actually hung up. <laughs> <laughs> why why greatest game ever played? <laughs> um, why greatest game ever played? Well, the simple answer is I haven't seen it enough. I've only seen it like one or one or two times. Mm. Um, also, I think that it's not a movie that's heavy on shtick, right? It doesn't rely on the same beat over and over and over again. It seems a bit more complex. Shia LaBeouf, obviously an, a real actor, not to say that Bill Murray isn't or, um, you know, Kevin Costner isn't. That's not what I'm saying. Um, even Adam Sandler has had his like complex roles, but from a movie standpoint, I just think greatest game ever played, especially with its um, actual historic, uh, you know, there's, there's some historic knowledge there and some information there. Um, the, this, the runner up would be Bagger Vance for me without a doubt. Uh, that's yeah. obviously, I don't know if you guys know Pressfield wrote it, but did you know Pressfield's other book, the war of art? Oh yeah. One of my favorites. Good. I'm not yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a really easy it's, read. It's really thin. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> it's easy yeah. to read. <laughs> yeah. Imagine yeah, that. A book about creativity and sitting down every day. We need it to be really short. Yeah. And he talks about golf in it. And he says, you know, I've, I've had uh, breakfast twice with Stephen Pressfield. Both times he was having breakfast with me in lieu of him declining an interview. So He's um, declined us before. was good. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't want to be on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. He said he almost declined Oprah, is what his manager told me. But he wow. agreed. Yeah. What, what was the takeaway from that breakfast? Did anything leave you surprised? Um, actually, yeah. I mean, the takeaway wasn't really about him as a person, because I didn't really get to know him. But it was that, um, you know, he declined the interview request, but he still... Um, did something which was very important to me, which was he 
saw that I was a curious creator and that I loved golf and that I was a fan of his. And it really validated me in my early search. This is pre-adventures in golf when we had breakfast. And, you know, he had no reason to talk to me. And so it was really kind of him to do that. And, you know, it really was one of these little nudges in the road of creativity where it's like, hey, no, but also yes. Keep, mm. do you, keep going. I support your inquiry into all this. And he didn't become a mentor of mine directly, but, you know, he, uh, we have stayed in touch and that was really almost better than if he had just done an interview and never responded to me. It's awesome. It also makes me think of one of the first things I thought about when I was prepping and thinking about our last conversation and our conversation today, because I feel like the day that you played Augusta two years ago, it felt to me like it was almost a turning point for you. It was a, almost like a, a weird universal sign that you're exactly where you're supposed to be, especially considering you weren't involved in golf before and then you got an opportunity that is the pinnacle of the pin pinnacle. Can you talk about that? Does, does that ring true to you? Do you think that was a turning point for you? I mean, what a great question, first of all. I mean, just like, what a cool way to talk. Like, it, it's, it's way more interesting to me than, you know, I don't know. I appreciate it. I appreciate your thoughtful questions. I mean, <clears throat> on some level, you know, I mean, you know, coincidences happen. If you're a fan of Deepak Chopra, he would say they happen to uh, let you know that you're living close to the source and close to the fiber of your being and your general purpose for being born. And, and so that was a time in my life where coincidences were happening constantly all the time and things were easy and not to say that they're not right now, but they're different. They're sure different. Um, and that was a turning point because that was when it sort of, I guess I haven't really looked back on it with this kind of lens, but it was a turning point in the sense that, and I've said this before, maybe I've said it in our podcast, but it was as though no one could fuck with me. Hmm. I was here. I was, I was clearly intended to be here. I was here to talk about golf. And I had some merit badge that was pretty hard to get. And that merit badge, sure, I mean, you could argue it any way you want. Pure luck. But you also had to be prepared. I had to be invited. You know what I mean? I had to be in that media lottery in the first place. So yeah. Oprah, we just talked about her, um, opportunity and preparedness, right? That's luck. Or wait, no, luck and preparedness is opportunity. I don't even know the quote, but, <laughs> <laughs> but right. uh, success is opportunity and preparedness. It's, it's being ready and being lucky at the same time. So you know, I mean, yeah, that, that was really the biggest turning point for me is that it, let, it gave me a feeling of confidence. It was almost like I'm never going to win on the PGA Tour, but for a young guy like Colin Morikawa to, to grab a W and win, it's like you go into the locker room, shoulders back. You know, you, you belong here. Yeah. Two years later, do you think about Augusta in a, in a different way or as you've reflected and seen the golf course on television? Um, has your feelings changed, you know, obviously in a positive way, but have you discovered things about it that maybe you didn't see when you were out there? Yeah. I mean, 
from a from a geography standpoint, you know, like number eight is a much more interesting hole than it's shot. Like, you know, when you see yeah. it on TV, it's like you don't really get it. Yeah. You know, you kind of it's just it just seems like oh, it's a par five. It's not thirteen. Right. It's not right. fifteen. It's not two. It's just it's just kind of the it's the it's the most underrated hole in the state of Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Number eight is just it's it's miles high. I mean, it's 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 probably a hundred feet or eighty feet up, and uh, you can't see the green from the tee, and you know, and then even from your second shot, you can't. Depending on how where you hit it, you can't really see the green. And then when you're up at the green, there's mounds twenty feet off the green that are taller than you. That are they're like just mound. They're like dump trucks. Um, and if you hit one of those, it's like a pinball machine. You know, it's just goes wherever you don't even know and so you watch pros go play it and it's like you know you watch the masters you see the final round you see the good players they're just they're just threading the needle you you don't see yeah. when you hit a bad shot where it's going what happens? right there are parts of the property there that only i have seen <laughs> from that standpoint i mean and really there's i've only seen one masters since I played it. You know what I mean? We saw, I won Patrick Reed's year and then um, the next winner was uh, Tiger. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Eric, you've been obviously very busy with ran- the random golf club. Uh, Ev and everybody here on the part show, we love it. And uh wanted you to talk about it a little bit to the listeners, you know, who are not as familiar with maybe our random, random golf club and uh, just maybe how it, you know, all kind of ties back to the world we're in today, especially with Corona. And yeah. just the lens that kind of helps you look through. Yeah, I mean, Random Golf Club started off as a idea that I had when I was a member at a private club in LA. And I didn't like that there were rules that didn't really make sense to me, whether it was that I can't bring my dog or that, you know, it was kind of, you know, I, I, I was doing okay, but it was still pretty expensive for me. And I ultimately left because it was just like, I couldn't even really like bring friends out to play golf because they would be like, all right, so here's how much it costs. And it costs you this much. And it was just, and it was like, and you would never get randomly paired up. You would go to this private course and you'd get randomly paired up with someone who definitely made between this and this salary who, you know, and I'm not talking about personality. I'm not saying it was one of the nicest places I'd ever been, but it was almost a utopia wasn't really a real Mike it wasn't really a real example of the game of golf that I fell in love with which is you know I mean the it was like you never hi buddy he wants to say hello to everybody <laughs> hey snowball we're doing a podcast buddy you can't just go over here and just <laughs> ask heard, for love heard, in the middle of a show he heard you talking about the camera him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get out to the course with you <laughs> we got these we got a little He's like, give me the tumbler. <laughs> I will say the new flat brim hat with uh, with snowball on the front. It's nice. Ooh, I like. It's good. I gotta say, I got we got the masters one coming out. It's it's a little delayed, but I'll send you guys a couple. Love that. Random golf club. So it started out with me wanting to leave this private club, but still have a home, because a lot of times you go to the public course and. It's like they don't want you there. It's it's like yeah. you know you're you haven't been playing yeah. golf long enough. You've been playing golf too long. You you're taking too long. Your clubs are old. Your clubs are new. I don't even know, but I just felt like 
I never got the hospitality feeling of when I go to a restaurant or a hotel or a store, someplace where they want my existence. Interesting. So, yeah, so, so RGC really was born out of that. And then as we started moving around with this idea of making hats and shirts and tumblers and whatever it is, it, and, and Snowball is the great mascot because a dog playing golf is a truly Scottish thing. And, you know, the idea that a dog wouldn't be allowed on a golf course doesn't even compute when you go to Scotland. So in America, we have problems with that and, you know, we'll try to change it and Snowball's part of that. But ultimately, Random Golf Club is is to bring people together through golf. And unfortunately, right now, online is really primarily social media. Um, But that transcends into meetups where we do as many as we can a year. I think we did about 10 last year where when me and my crew are traveling, we'll find a golf course that will allow us to play with 100 people. And we'll play in some version of one, two, or three groups, uh, alternate shots. So you pick a partner and you play with 30 people or 50 people on one hole. And we've got a lot of videos about it on our YouTube channel if you haven't seen it. Yeah. But it's, it's invigorating. It's electric. It's scary sure. to hit a ball in front of that amount of people. But it's also enlightening to realize that nobody gives a shit what, yeah. you, what your ball flight is. They're there to spend time with you and hang out with you. And... That's kind of the idea. And as we have time now at home to focus on, you know, how Random Golf Club is going to manifest itself in the coming years, that's, that's what we're spending our time thinking about and trying to make the biggest amount of impact for people who want to feel included in something. I was just going to say, it feel, it's, it's always felt very inclusive, um, but you're not trying to blow up or rewrite the like necessarily the rules around you know what golf is or what it's been or it's just trying to get more people involved and, and have some fun along the way just kind of my take especially for everyone listening it's, it's just it's really cool what you're doing thanks man i mean that is that is one of the things is like you know i i really realized before random golf club that golf is uh, impossible to define without a human who defines themselves through golf. So it's ridiculous for any individual or any company or any entity to try to define golf because that's up to each individual and how they go play it. And so, you know, there is, it would be impossible for, you know, and, and, and that's the problem with golf in some ways is that we come to golf and everybody, at least myself, I came when I was 30, I was faced with a, thing that had a PR problem because I didn't know what it was until after I started digging. And that's kind of what RGC really aims to do is to make golf a welcoming place where you give it just enough time to realize, hey, maybe I also would like golf. You know, and and that's one of the great things about RGC events is there are people who've been playing for months or a year or two, and there's people who've been playing for decades. And for whatever reason, that person who's been playing for a decade is just sort of interested in being reinvigorated. And the relationship between somebody who's been playing golf for a long time and not a long time is really wild and exciting. And Mm. But there's no real incentive for anybody. If you've been playing golf a long time, there is absolutely no reason to take someone new to the golf course. You're like basically going on an early date. 
You know, right. there's, there's really, right. you, unless they're your sibling or you want to make them a sibling, there's no reason to take them to the golf course. They're going to slow you down. They're going to cost you money. They're going to embarrass you. They're going to spoil your own game. And so RGC also seeks to incentivize the, uh, you know, old timers in indoctrinating newcomers. For sure. It, it kind of reminds me of this quote you wrote, which I really liked. I wanted you to expand on it. You said the course is merely a stage and we are the actors. And so what do we want the script to be? That is up to us to write every day. And I thought it was timely and relevant. And I wondered if you could talk about how this relates to how we're living right now and how you get through a tough time like this. And, you know, I hate to draw a parallel between a global pandemic and golf, but I do think that there are relevant lessons in the sense that you have the ability to see your round as badly as it might be on the scorecard you can have an entirely different experience by the way that you're looking at it. And I thought that this was an interesting parallel to unpack. Yeah. I mean, um, sorry, can you ask the question? Uh, I, I started getting out a little bit in the middle of that. It was a good fading. Out. Like I was thinking about something really positive. What do you want me to answer exactly? I mean, I, I heard everything, but yeah, just how the parallel between we're the actors and the course is the stage, right? We have the ability to write the script, but it's up to us to write it. Yeah. And so I think it's yeah. a similar take today through these struggles. I'll go back to uh, Zen Golf, which is a book yeah. that I read early on. I'm sure you guys have read it. Dr. Joe Parent wrote a book on golf and meditation. If you haven't read it and you're listening right now, pause, go by, come <laughs> back. Then you have it in your to-do list. Book on tape, physical book. Both great. He talks about um, this guy's a this guy is integral into my life, both on and off the golf course. And I found him early on after reading Zen Golf, and he basically mentored me, right? Like, and and actually, I think him and Pressfield know each other. Uh, we're all Cali Cali golf guys. <laughs> um, and he wrote a chapter of the book that comes straight out of a Buddhist teaching, which is called non-judgmental awareness. And it's basically a guy goes into a Buddhist teacher and says, I really want to stop doing this, fill in the blank, whatever it is, smoking, I don't know, drinking a lot of liquid before an interview and then having to burp a lot. Um, I don't know, whatever it is. And the teacher says, okay, cool. All you have to do is sit there or live your life and every time you do something, just be aware of it. That's all I want you to do. I don't want you to get upset. I don't want you to get mad. I don't want you to talk to yourself about it. I just want you to notice that you're doing that thing. Notice that you have the lacroix and then you have to burp during the interview. That's all it is. So the guy does it on the first day and he starts the, in, in the uh, example, I think it's, he's using discursive thought, which is negative self-talk. Yo, you're, you're an asshole. Stop doing that. You know, why are you out here playing golf? You're a terrible golfer. So this is the example. Whenever you have a negative self-thought, just take this little pebble in the center bowl, put in the bowl on the left. So you've got a middle, pe middle bowl filled with pebbles and then one on each side. And so... Every time, wait, how am I getting this right? 
Yeah, so then he takes the pebble. When he has a positive thought, he puts it in the one on the right. He looks down and all the pebbles are in the bowl and says that's negative self-talk. Second day, a couple are in the bowl on the right. Third day, a couple more. All of a sudden, a month goes by. All of the pebbles are now in the bowl of positive self-talk. So anyway, that to me is the way we change is through non-judgmental awareness. And in some sense, the idea that we're the writer and that it's almost a more urgent way of describing it. Like a thing like, hey man, like I'm going to go out and live today and I really do have the choice of whether or not I'm gonna live a positive day or a negative day. Or whether when I go to the golf course and someone doesn't say hi to me, am I gonna take it personally? Or am I just gonna maybe say, Oh, you know what? He might not have heard me. And maybe I should say it louder. Not in a passive aggressive way though. <laughs> you know, and and that's kind of become like my attitude on the golf course is I just wave at people from fairway because it's very easy to just assume that that other person a hundred yards away is what are they mad about? I don't know. Am I playing too slow? What is it? What am I doing? <laughs> Did that guy just pull hook it in the water? Maybe he could use a laugh, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there's not enough of that. There's not enough of the understanding that we're all suffering. And, right, right. you know, to bring it back to current events, like you just thought of, you know, I mean, everybody on planet Earth who is able to read or hear or digest news is thinking about the same thing all day long. And, yeah, it's hard. It's hard, but at the same time, you know, it's not as hard when I, you know, think about, okay, well, what am I going to do to make this meaningful or, you know, what, you know, I, I feel like I butchered, butchered that question. But no. I tried my best. Now I'm going to be thinking about the pebbles. <laughs> oh, dude, you got to do the pebbles. Yeah, I'm going to visualize the pebbles. <laughs> what do you want to change about your life? Let's go. Let's do it right now. We got time. <laughs> I mean, for me, I think just like everyone, the self doubt and the, I think not enough self love, which I know sounds cliche. Um, but I think a lot of us, there's some quote out there that we expect way too much to happen in a week and not patient enough to appreciate what can happen in a year. And so for me, you know, I struggle with, remembering to focus on the process and the daily consistency of doing something and knowing that you're, you're putting something out there to help others and trust that it's going to get you somewhere. You may not know where, but it'll get you, you know, to the right place at the right time and having that trust in there versus trying to expect results. And in this social world, especially now, I think it's really easy to like, you might post something and it doesn't get, you know, the amount of likes you used to. And you immediately think, wow, this must have been like shit. When really idea. it could have just been an algorithm or actually who cares who the hell, what matters? Like if it mattered to you, that's all that matters. So that's something that I'm personally working on. Sarm, should we open up the door? Is this a self, uh, self-discovery sesh? Well, Why don't we do it? It could be, you know, this could go, <laughs> this could go into the night. But there's a great <laughs> book. I, we're, we're talking about books. I, wrote, I read by Josh Metcalf and the book's called Chop Wood, Carry Water. Right. So what you're talking about, everybody think everybody just it's not about outcomes. It's so easy to think about outcomes. Got to do the same things every day. And it took this kid years. He wanted to be a great archer. He went to a sensei, like a samurai out in 
in the East. So process, right? But yeah. yeah. Eric, you, I mean, you play all different kinds of golf, whether a group of 60 people playing by yourself, playing in Scotland. And you, and just from listening to you and reading about you, you pick up on a lot of things. Awareness is big for you. You pick up on a lot of things mentally, spiritually out on the course. So if you had to pick an environment out on the golf course that you enjoy the most, what, what would it be? Like random golf club, 60 people, play by yourself, casual nine, a famous championship course. Oh, famous championship. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, first of all, hearing that question is like, I mean, it was sad, honestly, because it's like golf is so far away from me and my world right now and, and all of us. I mean, every day I right. sit here and I just think about golf and I'm working on golf. But, you know, it's, 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 it's the, the idea of what, what would I do? How would I play golf? I mean, it would be, it would be on the water and it would mm. be uh, not enough light to finish, but almost enough. You know what I mean? Like, like 12, 14 holes. And it would be with people I love. And it would probably be with more yeah. than four. It would be more than four, but less than 10. And um, there'd be a couple <laughs> of half sets. There'd be, uh, there'd be a dog. Some, some hickory shafts, maybe. <laughs> yeah, there, there'd be some good golf. There'd be some terrible golf. Every once in a while, we'd be, we'd, there'd be some music. And, and it, would be, it wouldn't be hot. It would be kind of cold. Mm. And um, it would be cold enough so that you're looking forward to being done so that you can convene together for the aftermath of the golf, uh, for eating sure. you know, and drinking. Um, and, oh, God, I was just getting choked up well, thinking about it. You're, you're, you're painting a picture for all of us here that, you know, <laughs> that we want to get with that we want to go experience. I do, too. I do, too. I miss it. I miss it. I miss it. Eric, I want to talk about confidence for a second. Um, This is something we talk about on the train a lot. And um, I've noticed this with my game. I'm curious if it's impacted you. I picked up on it a little bit as I watched some of the ace cams um, with the pros. But I feel like in an RGC environment, you're the one that a lot of people are there to see. Um, you know, amidst the community and, and stuff, but it's also fun for people that have been following you to go be able to meet you and play with you and experience what they've seen on Instagram. So in that scenario, right, you're kind of the guy, you're, you might be confidence is high, right? But when sure. you're hitting balls next to Dustin Johnson, you know, you're inferior and you might not play as well because you, your self-talk might not be as friendly because of the comparison between the two. Can you talk about the shift of confidence based on the level of the people you play with? That's interesting. Um, right, right, right. So it's like if, if you were to go play with someone who knows nothing about golf, you could probably play really well because you're totally confident that no matter what you do, they're going to think you're great. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I know that it is all about confidence. I know that they've, there's some study out there that I think MIT did a handful of years ago about the yips literally being a mathematically a fearful thought right before impact. Mm. Um, so what's the opposite of fear? Confidence, you know, no fear. Um, most of the time when we do the RGC events, it is so exciting and terrifying that 
it's so it's usually I will hit good shots throughout those. And it doesn't matter because even if I hit a terrible shot, it feels the same. Hmm. You know, that's, that's the goal I think is that, you know, no matter what the outcome is, it's still like, wow, that was so intense. And like, whether you pulled it off or not, it's kind of irrelevant because, you know, you stood up there and did it. And, you know, I mean, I also have the thing where I tell myself, Hey, at an RGC event, it's almost better if I don't hit a good shot because I don't want people to feel like they need to hit a good shot to be right. part of. Right. Right. I would almost be better off not. That's hitting, fair. You know. Yeah. It's it's like I don't want. I'm good at golf, kind of. I don't want people <laughs> to feel like they have to be good at golf to be part of Random Golf Club. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's why I pick the newest golfer to be my teammate because it's like I'm going to prove to you that I can have something in common with this guy. Who literally doesn't even know where to put the ball. Like, right. does it go in the front of his stance or the right. back? He doesn't know. But it's my job as a senior golfer in this tribe to be like, okay, you're gonna hit a little. You want to hit? You want to hit it up in the air over this bunker from 15 yards? Here, just put it right up in the front of your stance and just the club face and don't kill anybody. <laughs> right. Well, so, I mean, you, know. you give you give a guy or a girl like that some confidence, right? Saying, hey, come and play with me and being part of this community. I think that's pretty, you know, there's something there, right? I thought of it like that. We've kind of been talking a lot about the mental game and even a little bit the spiritual side. Most recently in a lot of our episodes, we've had on Evan Schiller, who's a great photographer, golf course photographer, and he works with Fred Shoemaker, an extraordinary golf who you've gotten to know. Um, We just recently had on Brendan Todd, three-time tour winner who, you know, I mean, he's the greatest comeback story in the last decade at least, right? Um, so we're curious, where are you with your documentary, Be the Ball? Um, be, we talked about this two years ago. <laughs> we're fascinated. I, I, I found, Evan and I were talking about it. I'm like, I've seen videos from 2014, trailers. Um, oh, yeah. But so maybe share the listeners a little bit about the background, kind of where it's at, where you're going. And I, I selfishly want to talk about Michael Murphy and Fred Shoemaker a little bit too, because I've read their books. And, up with all that stuff yeah i mean <laughs> i should get together the interviews with fred and michael those are profound um and very much you know and i've got actually i've got a you know who ram das is right yep i've got a 40 minute interview with ram das wow right it's crazy yeah like he's out there I'll send there's, you guys. Some, there's some um, depth <laughs> oh yeah it's crazy um <laughs> So, yeah. so the, 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 the because we're fa- we're fascinated with this whole documentary. So. <laughs> good. Well, me too, and I appreciate that. You know, yeah. um, So, be the ball is a feature length documentary about golf and meditation, and it really was the original inquest into the game of golf for Eric myself as a filmmaker. I got into the game of golf through my brother. Uh, I was a documentary filmmaker at the time. I didn't like golf i didn't know anything about it tried it fell in love with it and as a filmmaker i thought oh this is kind of interesting maybe there's a story here started realizing that there was this sort of subset of golfers that used meditation to like and play better and then within that there was even professional golfers who used straight up meditation to gain an advantage and this is obviously seven eight years ago now when the really main thrust of this was behind it so things have changed 
probably even more so to fill in this thesis. Basically, we created an experiment where if we taught people meditation, would they get better at golf? And I don't want to spoil it, but um, it's a great outcome yeah. that's almost unanimous. So um, Very cool. we, we spent a lot of time and we did it. It's an accredited experiment with the help of uh, USC. And we had some you know, uh, neuroradiologists and we had uh, sports psychologists and authors and you know, really an incredible group of people came together to do this. And basically what happened is, is we got really busy doing other stuff that was more urgent and that was more, um, you know, featured documentaries are not known for their financial viability. And, um, you know, when I started the film, I was, um, you know, for when I started the film, me going on a trip meant um, basically filling my station wagon up with gas and whenever I kind of ran out, just going to sleep in the back and playing golf wherever I could. That, that was me going on a trip. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, making a film was very easy because I didn't have any bills really. You know what I mean? Like I lived in a warehouse sure. downtown where my rent was probably um, about the same as a storage unit in most cities. And, um, you yeah. know, so anyway, things got busy and I started working on adventures in golf yeah. and then we started doing this and that. And all of a sudden the time that I was so lucky to have to start working on be the ball, which ultimately led to this other work in golf became very little and I didn't have enough time to work on the film. That said, um, we are basically, uh, very close to, uh, we, we have a cut of the film that we're very happy with. It, it needs a couple things here and there, nothing too crazy. And we found a partner who has come on board to manage the post-production and, you know, work with us on getting the film done and getting it out there. And it's the same company that um, produced Searching for Sugar Man. So obviously a, a, that documentary had a good life. And, you know, we think that Be The Ball could really, you know, change the game of golf for a lot of people and maybe bring people into the game of golf. Anyway, it's, it's, it's on the right track and we're, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take to finish, but it's still very much an important thing that I want to be talking about from a, from a standpoint of what was your favorite part rather than it's going to be done soon. <laughs> right. And maybe more importantly, get sure. people into meditation. No, that's... <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm also curious about, look, it, it, took you forever to get into the game of golf. I think 28 years, you ignored it, you said. And yeah. you seem like a pretty good, got pretty good, pretty quick. What, what has helped you from a mental, like the mental side of the game, really help you with your performance out on the course as a player? Because getting from a 11 or 12 handicap to a six or a seven handicap is a big jump. And then do a two handicap and that's all mental. So with all this research and studying you've done, what's really been some keys there for you? getting the swing to a place where you can take one side of the field out of play. That's, that's key. Yep. Whether it's a cut or a draw, you know, you can aim at the left side and just bring it back in the center. Um, that's great. Absolutely. Putting, putting drills, comfortability with the putter, looking forward to putting, feeling like every chip is a chance to hold it. That stuff is big. Like the, the biggest thing for me though, has been, um, 
So we made a video last year on our channel called uh, Can I Break 90 at Pebble Beach for the U.S. Open? And yeah. I don't know From if you backs, saw this right? video. From the backs. I mean, it was like 7,300 yards. And honestly, it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had on a golf course. It was terrible. Um, and I hope that people watch these and recognize that I'm acting a little bit in, um, in um, hyperbole. I'm, I'm trying to say, hey, if you really want to play for score, have fun not enjoying yourself. Right. And I'm doing that by way of drinking the Kool-Aid myself. And now the reason why I bring this up is I probably could have gone out there with the two of you, not really thought about it. And even from the back tees, I mean, the course was wildly different. The fairways were tight and the rough was long and the greens were fast. So it's like a different golf course. I, I actually played Pebble uh, two months ago and I came in, I think I shot 79. It didn't even think about it. I had four birdies, four or five birdies. and like, just didn't even think about it. Wow. Totally different golf course. Greens were, greens were like, you know, mashed potatoes, slow, like fairways were massive. Rough was non-penal. Length was not an right. issue. Anyway, I bring all that up, not only to make myself feel good, but also because um, I, I walked off the course with a 90, and Chris Mason, who's in the video with me, was like helping me out. He's a swing coach to a lot of LPGA players and stuff. Mason goes, uh, do you want your stats? And I was like, no, I'm good. Thank you. And he said, are you sure? They might help you on your next round. And I said, okay, fine. What are they? And he said, okay, you missed every drive right. So you overcut and you missed every iron shot left, long left. So you were overdrawing them or pulling them left. And, and I said, okay, well, thanks. Fine. We failed. Thanks for the update. <laughs> yeah. Next day, I go to Harding Park to play golf of a TPC. And I'm out there, the driving range is close. So I'm out there and I'm just like, grinded down from my 90. And I walk up the first hole, I'm like, huh, it's kind of straight. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'll play a cut, middle of the fairway, just stripe it, middle of the fairway cut. And then next shot, I have like a pitching wedge in and I'm like, huh, I missed every iron left, huh? All right, well maybe I'll just swing easy and aim like right edge of the green, six foot putt. And I did that for the rest of the day and I came in with a 74. And I called Mason and I said, okay, what did you do to me? Because for some reason, I was hitting every shot where I wanted to hit it. And, he's, and I said, I was aiming left off the tee and right onto the green. He said, yeah, well, that's because you're playing your miss. It's hard to do without the help of someone like Chris or someone, but it kind of goes back to non-judgmental awareness. Sure. Because I could try to hit a cut or try to hit a draw. And if I miss it right going right, and just get really upset. Or I could just say, huh, I've missed the last three right going right. Maybe I should aim left and not be upset about it. That's the takeaway is non-judgmental awareness. Off the game of misses, calm yourself down. Yeah. Yeah, because then it just becomes a game of like, all right, I'm going to play my swing. And I got that. I can hit a big cut. I can <laughs> pull any iron off of any lie. 
you know? And then right. it's like, if I miss the green, it's just like, ooh, I've got a chance to do something incredible and everybody's watching, <laughs> you know? And it's like, right. if I don't, big deal. It's just what they expected. I'm an amateur, you know? Right. right. Yeah. Well, you recently posted about your last round at Pebble and you said that you feel the most free on the 18th tee. I was wondering why that is. Oh, man. I mean, I guess... Because it's almost over? <laughs> no, it just, takes it, it just takes it over the ocean and cuts it. Into, just I mean, obviously, the 18th oh, tee at Pebble is amazing, but 18th yeah. tee in general. Yeah, there's something about the 18th tee and the 18th hole where, you know what it is? Is it's, is it's like, um, it's, it's, what is it like? I mean, the 18th hole is, is kind of like old people. They don't give a fuck. Because they're going to die. So they tell you exactly what they feel. They tell you like it is. They're not trying to be too nice. And, you know, because they know that, like, it doesn't matter anymore. There's not going to be any more consequences. They're, they're not protecting anything. They're not holding on to anything. It's kind of like the person who might be the most honest with you is the person who actually doesn't need anything from you. Yep. And those people are hard to find. And it's, it's tragic, really, because one of the most memorable scenes of any movie I could ever tell you about is Motorcycle Diaries. You remember it? I don't think I've seen this. <laughs> it's a good one for quarantine. Okay. It's pretty good. So Gail Garcia Bernal is riding his motorcycle through South America. And at one point, he meets a wealthy patron who says, you can stay with me. And the patron says, I'm writing a book. I'd like you to take a look at it. Gail Garcia gets the, uh, the manuscript, reads it over a period of time. I think they reconnect a couple months later and the, the, the patron says, what did you think of the book? And he says, Gail says, well, do you really want to know? And he says, yeah. And he says, okay, well, I think it's terrible. And I don't think you should be a writer. And the guy goes, thank you. Thank you for actually hitting it, like telling it to me straight. You know what I mean? Thank you. Thank you for like caring enough about me to not be worried about my response to something you might say. So 18 is kind of that. It's like you saying to the golf course, like, I'm just going to give you everything I got right now. And I got nothing more to lose. You know, the first tee in, in like and even Tiger Woods, Tiger does not like the first hole. Mm. He's always making bogeys on number one. Yep. <laughs> like, we got to look into that. The Tiger stat, one versus 18. Hmm. I mean, he always bogeys 18 and he always bogeys one. But and I, on 18, he's always, 18, he's always typically committed to club selection. He typically lays back on 18, right? Where one, I don't think he really knows what he, to be aggressive. First hole, jitters, major. I don't know. That's my, that's my initial know, thought. That makes me think <laughs> of uh, a lesson that Scott Langley told us a year or two ago on this podcast of a lesson he learned from Matt Kuchar, which is Kuchar told him he starts every round, the first four holes, trying to hit the middle of the fairway and the middle of the green. Now, obviously that sounds like, well, yeah, of course. But his point yeah. was, is that from those four holes, he's not trying to do anything fancy. And then he starts to pick up on where his miss is that day. And then the remaining 14 holes, he plays accordingly to what was happening on the first four. Right. And so that helps like him that. kind of ease in to the round, which I thought was really interesting. I heard a similar thing from um, uh, Cameron uh, from um, 
not Cameron, um, from a Cameron Smith, who mm-hmm. said, I said, what are you doing on the first hole? And he said, two good shots. That's all I want. Just fairway green. And, and you're right. Like, for them, that's all. Like, for me, I'm like, I don't know, dude. I want to yeah. not hit a building or a human. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. You mentioned this earlier about you always wave to people on the course. And I'm fascinated by this because where do you think that comes from? I mean, every time I pass someone in a cart, people wave at each other. Yeah. What does that say about golf and people in general when they get in that golfing world? Well, it's a shared enemy. Mm. You know, we, 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 um, we are as though we survived the Titanic. And so we have this shared disaster story where we all came into the clubhouse with some version of a score that was dissatisfying. And, you know, we suffer the, you know, all the same things of, you know, uh, mishit shots, you know, um, ideas of glory ultimately thrown in the trash, um, you know, and we care. Because when you go try to tell someone about golf and they, they're not a golfer, it's as though it's waste of time. You'd be better off just asking them for money than trying to tell them about your golf game. Um, and, you know, we, we care about each other's golf game and we relate. And, you know, in a sense, relating to another human being is really like all we're here to do. Um, and golf's one version of that. NFL's another uh, you know, cycling. I mean, there's so many versions of it, but golf is extraordinary because it's you, you have to be the right kind of crazy to fall in love with golf. You, right. You've got to be disciplined enough to actually put up with the beginning. And you've also got to be crazy enough to think that you might actually achieve something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a strange person right there, but they're going to be my friend at some point. (laughs) So as three golfers on the Titanic, I mean, the question exists, would we all fit on the door in the Atlantic? Wow. Wait, is this, oh, oh, to save each other. Yeah. Couldn't we all fit on it? I mean, Rose didn't think so. Wait, what's the question? I don't understand. Rose, Rose took the door all for herself. Leo died or Jack died. Oh, oh, I thought you meant Justin Rose. And I was like, oh, no. the Titanic rose. That would have been a turn. <laughs> it's a little bit of a curveball. Yeah, I mean, we could all fit. I mean, we I need think to we be could. cozy. We need to be yeah. cozy. And we got to stay warm, anyways. You know. <laughs> um, she took it all to herself, and he froze. <laughs> That's a sad movie. Eric, we've just got a few more for you. Um, one, you talk about. I don't know, you want to call this a concept or a term uh, with your buddy Bo Baker, I believe. You guys did a, a cool podcast talking about being spiritually drunk. Yeah. You talk about this, this concept and when somebody is trying to get in touch with their spiritual mental side, they're, they could be going to doing yoga, they could be going to church, they could, be, they could have crystals, but something's not clicking, right? I was kind of thinking about it from a golf perspective. If you know, you're reading all the books, you were going to the, you're practicing a lot, but you had a bad attitude out there, right? Or you had your, your temper would get in the way or you didn't stop to look at the beautiful place, like, you know, the trees and the topography is, is that. And once you do that is when you're really going to see whether it's progress in your score or just progress in your whole frame of mind. I know I'm kind of getting around here, but 
what are your thoughts there? Like, and it's an interesting, I just found it to be a very interesting conversation. Bo's a good friend of mine and uh, it was, it was great to be a guest on his podcast uh, earlier this year. I've known him for probably ever since I started playing golf. And we, we, in that episode, we talked a little bit about some of our times playing golf together and Bo is not yep. nearly as much of a golfer as myself or, you know, us or, you know, he doesn't play yeah. once a year. Yeah. But what Bo does have is he has this kind of like incredible, um, like almost ridiculous ability to believe anything's possible and approach things with kind of the manifestation mindset. And he's really fun to hang out with in that way because it's anything's possible in his mind. Um, We uh, definitely, you know, have the same kind of, you know, thoughts around this this one um i can't remember who said it but it was this teaching of before you hit the golf shot imagine the feeling of pulling off the shot perfectly whatever it is it's it's a hard draw 168 yard eight iron gotta hit it What does it feel like to pull that off? Not like in the club necessarily, but like, what is the feeling like when you actually pull it off? Right. It was Tim Kramer, K-R-E-M-E-R. He's, he, he's a good, I don't know if you'd know about him, but he'd be a good guest, okay. good yeah, interview. Yeah. yeah uh, Florida. And um, I think he's free right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll call him. Yeah. Tim Kramer. Um, he, uh, what if you had the feeling of a good shot before hitting it? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a, a pretty revolutionary way for me to think about That's what it is. Because walking up to a shot with like doubt or like, I don't know, or like, you know, whatever it is, that's not really, uh, you know, that's just, even if it's a, even, even if, both versions you don't pull the shot off at least in one of them you feel good throughout it and you've spent time trying to kind of manifest what that is right. I, I, did that answer the question yeah no i awesome. i think it's interesting right i think it's it's right i think it's great you know or you could go into a golf shot just too too structured you know too worried about mechanics and just thinking you're doing all the right things but in, in essence you're really not right because there's no yeah gotta let you let go but that's a great way to look into the future. Yeah. Yeah. What so, will it feel like when I've done this or achieved that or, you know what I mean? Because the truth is like the, the, the saddest part of all of this story mm-hmm. is that like, you're still going to have the same problems that you had before you went to the golf course. But right. I think if you do look at golf the right way, the things that golf teaches you, whether it's patience, whether it's open-mindedness, whether it's friendliness, whether it's just, and not even honesty as far as me playing you, but me playing myself. You know what I mean? Like, am I really that broken that I'm going to move the ball where no one can see me? Am I right. willing to just be like, yo, I'm Eric, and I'm totally not perfect. And honestly, I'm not even on time most of the time. But, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> you know. One good thing you've done amidst all of this stuff is donation and giving a percentage of, you know, the random golf club gear to no kid hungry do you want to give a, a link or a plug there to make sure that people can can keep giving because i know everybody wants to feel like they can do something besides staying home 
right? How can we help? So I think that's an important thing to shout out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for bringing that up. You know, uh, randomgolfclub.com slash no kid hungry. And what that's donations right now. It, we, we spent two weeks donating 20% of everything that we sold on the site, which amounted to um, through donations and that 20%, it came out to $13,000. And then waste management, wow. one of our great partners doubled that. So they gave 26,000 just under $40,000 donated to No Kid Hungry. And their mission is for the last 10 years, even before this became a problem with kids missing lunches because there's no school happening, 200 million lunches have been missed this year so far. And with our $40,000 donation, we brought 400,000 lunches into um, kids and um, you know, who in America who otherwise wouldn't be getting fed. And what's really cool about No Kid Hungry is they attack it in a new way, in a different way for each particular location. So like in Macon, Georgia, they might call a caterer and say, look, do you have leftover mac and cheese? Like, can you deliver that to these kids? And so a lot of your money is going to the 200 people that work at No Kid Hungry all over the country and then they're coming up with special ways of getting food out the door for families that just straight up don't have the means to afford it. And um, especially with school being closed, it's a real issue. So um, I felt really good to be a part of it. And it was cool to see Jimmy Kimmel do it as well and Justin Thomas. And, um, sure. you know, I mean, random golf club, little engine that could, you know, we're going to keep <laughs> growing. And I think it's like if we're not going to have any impact on the world in a positive way, I'd rather just go into the stock market, you know, um, yeah. but I'm, I'm really proud of what we can do. And, you know, the Dalai Lama always says, there's nothing wrong with having your number one goal in life be the pursuit of happiness, because that's not selfish. The happier you are, it's proven scientifically, the less selfish you will be. Um, so in a way, Random Golf Club aims to, you know, create happy golfers. Love that. Well, I think that's a perfect that's awesome. way to end. Also, if you haven't read the book, Book of Joy, um, with the Dalai down. Lama and Archbishop, amazing. And we got to call Tim Kramer. Oh, and we'll talk. Dude, Is it Tim Kramer? Call Tim Kramer. I'll give you his number Eric, right now. Eric told us to call. That's right. Oh. Yeah, he'll be like, where is that guy? Well, thanks so much for coming on, Eric. This was great. Guys, I had a great time, and I got Tim Kramer's number for you right here. <laughs> <laughs>